Local Radio for Portsmouth. And here we are, just after seven o'clock. Thanks to your company. Welcome as always, here we are. Look back to what's been going on across the area. This is Express This Week. And we're here from now on to nine tonight. Thanks to your company. This is Chris Pierce. Uh, right across Portsmouth and South Sea Township with the week's news and views. Action-packed programme for you tonight. I can promise you that. Lots to get through, in actual fact. Uh, it's Empire 7. Jenny Walsh is with us, who's the clinical lead for perinatal mental health. Uh, we'll find out more about that. She's from uh, Sonant Health NHS. So we'll chat with Jenny uh, in about ten minutes or so here on the show tonight. Later at 7.25... We're going to have a profile guest. It's been a while since we had a profile guest here on the programme. We welcome him back with us. Part of the uh, Express This Week family, if you like. Phil Rutt, Friends of the Homeless in Fairman Gospel. We'll chat to him. Two of his songs as well. We'll chat to Phil later here at 7.25 tonight. And we'll catch up with him then. Uh, later, 10 past 8, Emily van der Leyen. I think I've got that right. Apologies, Emily. She's from the charity Crime Stoppers. They'll talk about some um, catalytic converter, uh, the thefts. They're on the rise. So we'll catch up with Emily about that. Quite a serious matter, in actual fact. Um, from the charity Crime Stoppers. Uh, more about them, too, to find out about uh, that particular organisation. Emily, discuss all. 10 by state tonight. We'll chat in with her then. Uh, we're going book watching later tonight at 8.25. It's a bit chilly for bird watching, isn't it? Nah. Fresh air never did anyway, any, any, uh, any harm, did it? But uh, Lizzie will be uh, Lizzie Hibbard from Bird Aware Zones will be with us at 8.25. Uh, talk more about what we can look out for this time of the year. So we'll catch up with Lizzie Hibbard later here at 8.25 tonight. All about that. And later at 8.45 to round things off tonight here on the show, uh, catching up with the executive director of a group called GHD. Uh, Tim Moorhood is with us for that later on tonight. And we'll talk about a survey in actual fact revealing people are moving to a different location from the UK, up to about 40%. So we'll discuss that with Tim. And we'll find out more about GHD as well. All on the show before 9 o'clock tonight here on Express This Week. And there's plenty to get through from now until 9 o'clock. Lots to talk about here on the show as always. And we're talking about, so we've discussed mental health quite a bit here on the show, certainly over recent months uh, here at Express This Week, and no exception tonight. But we're talking about uh, another perspective, in actual fact, uh, to new, expectant, and in some cases, bereaved mothers as well. Uh, from Sons Health NHS, Jenny Walsh joins me on the line now. Jenny, good evening to you. Hi, Chris. How are you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good stuff. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Jenny. Uh, I think we might have a dodgy line, but we'll go with it. We'll see how we, we get on. Jenny, um, I mean, tell us a little bit about, first of all, about this. This is a new service, isn't it? And probably come at the right time, too. Yes, absolutely. So, I've myself, I've worked in perinatal services for many a year, and this has always been a gap that um, we weren't commissioned to do. So, having new money to look after... Um, women who have either suffered birth trauma or tragically um, had a baby who's died, um, we're just delighted to be able to offer them a service. And, of course, with COVID, it's made it even more important because a lot of women now haven't had the birth experience that they were hoping for, and we may well be having to mop up a lot of that anxiety and trauma that COVID's caused. Now, this sort of new service is part, really, of a long-term plan anyway, isn't it? Yes, it is. So um, the perinatal mental health services have been expanding so that there's now coverage across the whole of England, which is fantastic because prior to the investment, it was very much a postcode lottery. Hampshire um, and Portsmouth women have always been very lucky to have had a service for some years now but parts of the country had nothing so this is very much looking at those gaps that were left and making sure that the nhs long-term plan plugged the gaps 
And it's really sort of brought home since this pandemic of issues like this, though, hasn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's put this right into the spotlight. And I think um, birth trauma is something that a lot of women can relate to at the moment because so many women who have had babies during the pandemic just Mm. didn't get the birth experience that they were hoping for. And now there is a service around that, that is there for them if they have you know, issues that they're left with that are causing them distress, then they can they can get referred into the service. And it has been amazing at helping women to turn these experiences around. Now, I mean, this is all successful since a 12-month pilot, wasn't it? Uh, why in particular was Southern Health chosen for to, you know, to, to take this further? Well, because we um, already were... were providing the perinatal mental health right. services across Hampshire, then um, we had already expertise there that we could build on. And the pilot um, put us in a really good position to be able to take advantage of the new money and to mobilise really quickly to deliver the service um, and to start recruiting so that we could offer even more. I mean, we're talking about 66,000 women here, aren't we? Yes, there's a, there's a hell of a lot. Mm. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of women um, that haven't known where to go for this sort of help before. So there's a lot of sort of hidden um, harm that's done. And, and I think a big important thing that these services are also going to do is to to identify the causes of birth trauma that women tell us about so that we can help work with maternity services to turn that around because you know we may find there's some quick wins in terms of maybe training maternity staff or looking at the environment in which people are giving birth to to make sure we're maximizing the opportunities to, to get this right for women and how are mums sort of referred? How, how does that process work, Jenny? So under the pilot, we just accepted referrals from midwives because the pilot had a very small team to start off with. As the service expands and we recruit with, with the new funding, then that referral will get opened up to general practitioners um, and other health professionals. So so it, hopefully wherever ever women um, receive health care and get in front of health professionals, if this need arises, then um, they can be referred into the service. As you say, it's been a long time coming, this, hasn't it? It really has. And, I, I you know, I've, I've worked in perinatal myself mm. for, that, for that long time. And I'm so excited, Chris, that Southern Health can, can yeah. now deliver it's going to be a really comprehensive service and I think um, you know there was a there was a gap there and we all knew there was a gap there so it's so exciting to see that gap being plugged now yeah, yeah. now this service it, it can be referred by GPs midwives uh, and that's the route into it isn't it that's that's how it will be rolled out currently it's, it's midwives only but as right. the service expands there will be more health professionals that can refer in and obviously there'll be some education going along with that so health professionals all know what the service does who it's for who it can really be helpful for so that will all all be happening and this is something which is going to continue to evolve i guess over time yes we're looking at um, we've we've got some women with with lived experience of, of these um difficulties to work with us to make sure that we're getting the services right and um you know, we will be listening to, to feedback as well along the way. So if anybody's got an interest or a passion, do get in touch because um, we would love to, to make sure that we get this right. We've got such an opportunity starting with a, with a brand new service. And how can people get involved with this then, uh, Jenny? Um, well, if they want to get in touch with me at Southern House, that's absolutely fine. And I can make sure that anybody that wants to to um, get involved with the scoping is, is put in front of the right people. OK, fantastic. Jenny, it sounds like exciting stuff and uh, obviously long overdue. I mean, you sort of kind of wonder, don't you, you know, you know why this wasn't around before? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I... I 
can't really answer that. No. I think it's something that we all saw a need for, yeah. but I'm just really excited that we've got the funding now. Yeah. And as you say, Chris, it couldn't come at a better time because of coming in on, on the back of the pandemic sure. when we know that that need is going to be great. It sort of opened our eyes up, hasn't it, for all sort of, sorts of things in life. It's, it's, a, it's done a bizarre thing, really, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And, you know, there, in a weird way, there have been some good things that have come out of it. Yes. Um, but, but obviously there's been some awful tragedy yeah. as well. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's strange, very strange. I think we'll look back on this and think, what happened? <laughs> you yeah. know, you know, you think a whole year's gone, and when, it, it, it's a very strange feeling, isn't it? Can't put your finger yeah. on it. And we really have to be mindful of what it's been like mm. to be pregnant or have a baby sure. when everything was in lockdown and, and mums couldn't get out and socialise and, and do all the things that make those early days so special. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that these services are going to be around to help with some of the emotions that may be around about that stuff. Yeah, because it will continue, I imagine, for the next few years or so, you know, the repercussions from this, certainly, you know. Uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm it, sure. And we need something like this to sort of hold um, hold each other's hand uh, through all this sort of uh, kerfuffle, as it were, at the moment. It's um, not so good times. But hopefully the, the end's in sight, the light at the end of the tunnel, everyone's getting their vaccine, hopefully, and um, wish you in a better state, certainly by this time next year. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we all hope so, don't we? Absolutely. Jenny, it's lovely. Yeah, it's lovely talking to you, my darling. You take care. Regards to all there. And uh, thanks for coming on. Tell us about this exciting stuff. It's good news. That's something we need. A bit of positivity, Jenny. Lovely. Thanks for having me. You take care. Cheers, Jenny. Bye-bye. So I think we got the gist of what you're saying there, but Jenny Walsh there, uh, who is the clinical lead for perinatal mental health for Southern Health, and I'm um, talking about that um, new program for um, new expectant and bereaved mothers, right across our transmission area of Portsmouth and South East Hampshire, right across Portsmouth, right across Fairham and Gosport, wherever you happen to be tonight. Thank you for being there. I should say actually, if you want to sort of catch up on any of our guests that we do here on this particular show, go to our podcast page, Express FM dot com forward slash podcast and you can uh, listen back to some of the interviews we've done here on the show over recent months it's all there uh, at our website expressfm.com forward slash podcast uh, our profile guest tonight great to get him back on the air with us here from the friends of the homeless always a good chat and uh, chance to catch up with phil rutt who's on the line with us now Phil, good evening to you, sir. Evening, Chris. How are you doing? All right. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Been busy since we last chatted? Oh, I don't remember when we last oh, chatted. Oh, I know. It's, it's gone so quick, hasn't it? I think it back in the last year, I think we last had a chat. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's still busy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. There seems to be no let-up, does there? Uh, none whatsoever, I'm afraid. Is it um, still yeah. quite busy you know, in Fairman and Gospel? Yes, it is. Um, I've just pulled out some numbers off our um, database, and in the last six months, we've dealt with uh, about nearly 1,200 referrals, and that's nearly 2,800 people that we've fed. So, yeah, it's busy. Yeah, yeah, and... uh you know, it's it's the, the, the issues are still there, isn't it? Even though the, all this, you know, trying to sort of uh, get people into local hotels and things like that, the issue's still there. The issue, the issue's still there. Um, there are some other, there are some added complications now with with COVID and furlough and um, people losing their jobs and, and all sorts of so stuff like that. Y- you've seen so, an impact just from that. Yeah, it's just complicated. It's 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 increasingly complicated, and I think we're we're seeing um, some instances of um, low-level mental health issues um, for some people, but but in 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 some other cases, particularly amongst the homeless, um, from a conversation that I was having with with two saints earlier this week, my friend Georgie. Um, that mental health for some of the, some of the genuinely homeless, the people sleeping in hostels like 101 Gosport Road, mental health is a big issue, and and appears to be a growing concern. So, yeah, I, there, it, it's clear to me. I, I called on a guy. This is a fairly normal situation. I, I called. I called on a couple of guys in a couple of weeks in, a, in the last few weeks because we deliver now rather than having face to face. And they both just wanted to stand on the doorstep, at, at socially distanced, of course, you understand, and natter. 
So I ended up chatting to these guys. Mm. It must have been at least half an hour each. And in, in one case, his neighbour turned up and we had a three-way conversation. And it, it, it's just loneliness yes. and, and isolation appeared to be factors as well as well as for, for those for whom mental health is a very serious issue. It's a big thing, isn't it? We talk about it a lot on this show, uh, and we'll continue to do that, to, to highlight it, because obviously when all this is all over, the, the, some of the problems are still going to be there, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 fairly, I'm fairly sure of that. Um, it depends what you mean when this is all over. Well, I, who knows? Our, our concern is that even when, when COVID disappears, You've still got issues um, associated with that nasty thing called Brexit, and the economic implications really? of some of that have still got to have still got to work their way through the system. And we would we would anticipate, although we, we have no factual data for this, but if you, you stick a finger in the air, you can see um, issues with with wage and price inflation not not marrying up, so people mm. earn less. But food, for instance, costs more, um, which has two knock-on effects. One, the likelihood is that people won't have enough money to manage and, and therefore will need to call on food banks. And the other correlation is that um, there will be less, less likelihood of people, um, of people um, saying um, that they can't afford to give to food banks anymore. You think that's um, a real possibility? Yeah, no, I, I would. I would say that's a that's a that's a that's a possibility. Um, and that if you know, people, we we've talked in the past about um, donor fatigue, but I think it's actually going to be donor impoverish impoverishment if we're not careful. If things pan out, this is a sort of worst case, Chris. Mm. But um, if things pan out in a particular way, and all the variables. Combined together in, in, in one in a bad way, then yeah, it's going to be tougher for, for everyone, even for the people who are trying to support the people in trouble. Do you think then, perhaps, you know, with all this coronavirus, it has probably masked what Brexit might have, might have brought had it had this not been with us? It is possible. I, you know, there's no there's no hard data. I can't mm. I can't demonstrate this one way or the other. But it, it's. It's just the feeling that there are some subtext issues sitting around out there. Mm. Um, and, and the likelihood is that, say, with, with the ending of furlough and, and all those sorts of things, that, that later on in the year things could be increasingly uh, more complicated for food banks, people providing food support. And it's fair to say, Phil, that you know, you're basically more on the front line than most of us, uh, and you, you're obviously gauging this from from from, from chatting to, to to those homeless. Yeah, yeah. You, you, there's you, you always get the impression that, that 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 there are people now who are more despondent um, than than they were, say, when we were operating normally um, eighteen months ago. You, you, you get the sense in, in some cases that there's a genuine hopelessness and a real apathy. Uh, that apathy shows itself in not only people finding it difficult to work out whether there will be an end to anything, but sort of ending up in a position where they can't be bothered. It, it just takes their, their drive and their, their motivation away, and they, they can't see any point in even trying. I've spoken to people who said that I didn't really think there was any point in phoning a food bank. Really? Because, yeah, yeah, because my situation is so hopeless that even even the self-help stuff that, that we provide, and, you know, you're only talking about tins and packets of food and some fresh stuff now, um, they're, they're having they're, their souls, if you like, taken away. So it's not quite pride so much. It's more, you know, they don't think it's really appropriate for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, 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 there is a pride thing still there, Chris, and mm. there's still a stigma t- attached to using a food bank. It's that charity stigma again. Yeah, it's, it's the... I, I'm, I shouldn't really have to ask you for help. I've had a couple of like that recently. I shouldn't really be asking you for help. And yeah. you get it through the text that you receive asking for help, through the Facebook posts that you get asking for help. That, you know, I'm, I'm a, people sort of say, I'm, I'm sorry to ask you again. Um, yeah. 
almost I'm embarrassed sorry to ask you in the first place. Yeah, and it's it's there are there are some you know for some people this situation is really very very tough. I'm never going to say that it's it's hugely prevalent in the wider community, but there are pockets for whom this situation is proving enormously difficult. Yeah, and that hasn't really improved since the beginning of this year. No. Not no. really. No, no. Um, it was around Christmas. We were getting as many as sixty referrals a week. Um, it's it's toned down a bit then, but it's still you know you're talking forty, forty or fifty a week, and that's that's in excess of one hundred and twenty people a week fed by 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 just by the, the friends of the homeless through their basics bank, the mm. two sites, one in Fairham and, and one in Gosport. And in reality, poor old gospel is hit a lot harder than Fairham is by these sorts of things. We used to say there's about 50-50 split in referral from Fairham and gospel. Yeah. Now, it's, it's very much closer to a third Fairham, two-thirds gospel. Really? So it's no shifted. doubt in my mind that gospel is being hit particularly hard. Yeah, yeah. And is that due to poverty? Yeah, I, I, I guess... It, poverty um, plus all the, these other sorts of factors that, that are playing their part mm. and they, they all just mean that people haven't got enough money to buy food I can you know, talk about specific cases um, and, and pull statistics together that, that say this is happening and that is happening health, mental health still, still um, substance abuse and stuff like that we find but the, bot- the bottom line is a lot of, most of these people just haven't got enough money to, to support themselves. The, un, the uh, unexpected bill, the, um, all, all that sort of stuff, un, un, unanticipated issues and problems. And um, without the support of, of some of, the, of what food banks do generally, um, some of this stuff isn't, isn't, isn't... Some of these people aren't going to get out the other end if they're not careful. And we also find, too, that, say, that the, the statutory support systems that you'd expect to be in place for people with, with say, with mental health issues, mm. they're just not there. Um, that's probably not fair. I was talking to two saints, and they said, Gosh, um, fe- um, Portsmouth is really very good in terms of the mental health support that it gives mm. to people. Fair and Gosport, less so. But the, some of it is, some of... The, the, the systems and processes that should be supporting the vulnerable appear to be um, unravelling, if you like. Mm. Austerity, cuts, not enough funding to do what you want to do, so not enough done. funding to do what you've got no, to do. It's Those are the issues feel... that, we're, that we're seeing and, yeah. talk, and talking to referral agencies about as well, not just clients. So it's starting to feel the pressures really, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's pressure's the word for it. The system is under pressure and mm. failing in some cases. That's very sad as well. I mean, it's a tough call anyway for, for yourselves as an organisation, mm. not to, first, not to judge anyone, um, you know, especially these times, but also to, to sort of keep that balance there, isn't it? And, you know, get these people not to sort of depend on, on, your, on these organisations such as yourself. Well, that's right. As, as a, our, our intent as an organisation is, is not to create dependency. Yeah. And I, I've, I actually have got some numbers here. And of the people, the individual people that we've seen over the last 26 weeks, 60% of them we've only had contact with once, which is, which is pretty amazing. And getting on for 90%, we see four times or fewer. Mm. Now, that, that is, I could interpret that data as, as, as saying we're not creating dependency. And that's, that's really where we want to be. We want to see people through crises and out the other side. Yeah. Because the, the academic work suggests that if, if someone doesn't um, deal with a crisis in their life, then the next time a crisis comes, they won't deal with that either. No, so they keep and going back to you. That's just the slippery slope yeah. in, in models of homelessness. That's just the slippery slope mm. down into losing your home, losing your losing everything. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's also, I suppose, a slippery slope into greater greater problems with, with simple poverty and getting by. You know, people say, "Well, these people don't know how to budget. They 
they're 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 um, profligate with their money. It's not it's not my experience that that's the case. Um, our experience is that some of them do know how to budget, but when not enough is coming in to cover the bills and 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 cover stuff like that, you really are up the creek without a paddle. Yeah. If I want to a better phrase. Do you think it's still out there that community feel? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's more so since the pandemic? I, I, if, if you look at it simply in terms of um, our ability to generate volunteers is staggering. I've got a waiting list as long as my arm of people who want to work for us, with us. It's not why nobody works for us. We work together, you know, it's mm-hmm. a single status organisation. Yeah. We're That's, all volunteers. Yeah, and it's how it should be, shouldn't it? But yeah, we're all volunteers with a common heart, which is making a difference for, for people in the community who are vulnerable. Mm. And then wider than that, we've now got companies who support us. Um, we've got, as ever, the schools, the churches, other community groups, women's institutes, um, women's sewing circles, and all sorts of people um, who, are, who are doing their bit by providing food, volunteering and, and, and so on and so on. And, and keeping the, the wolf from the door as far as, as, far as the finances yeah. are concerned. It is a genuine and wonderful team effort. And we're really grateful that that's, that that's the case. Yeah. Because you do quite well with donations, which we'll touch on in a bit. Uh, but you've come a long way since starting the Basics Bank side of the fence, I guess, uh, since 2003. Yeah, we've been running food banks now for 18 years yeah. in, in Fairham and about 15 or 16 in Gosport. When I, when I started, when um, I was foolish enough to, to agree to come and sort tins <laughs> um, Stupid in about 20, 2010, something yeah. like that, we were, we were handling, feeding about 1,600 people a year. Mm. You're now talking about three times that number minimum. And... We have seen donation uh, just rise and rise and rise in line with the, with the need without really telling anybody um, what's going on and without really um, putting our heads above the parapet. When we're, a, we're, a, we're a pretty um, below-the-radar organisation. <laughs> But so you do quite well. It doesn't stop people supporting no. it. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, you do quite well. And so again, going back to the donations and things like that, which <clears throat> we'll do the usual plug as we come to the end. But, uh, I mean, that's always been successful and, and, and continues to be. Oh, it's, it, 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 it is absolutely staggering. But the, 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 it, the, the, in, the inbound is staggering, but it's only because the inbound is that's staggering that, that we can um, meet the demand. Mm. Um, I, I looked again, and a rough guess at how many tins and packets we've given away in the last six months, and it's over 110,000. And they've all been given. <laughs> we, still, we still don't buy food. Well, we, we do. That's not specifically true. Because we've changed our offering a bit, mm. because we now give out fresh potatoes, apples, oranges, onions, carrots, bread, eggs, and those sorts of things, we have to buy those. <laughs> so we are buying food, but mm. we're not, but we, we don't buy tins and packets. It all comes in, and, and, and simply we, we put a post on Facebook, on our Facebook page, and say, this is the stuff that we need, and we do that, ooh, I don't know, once every six months, something like that, six months, six weeks, something like that. Yeah. And, and the stuff just comes in, and it's quite remarkable. A, a typical post on Facebook for us, with, the, with just the shopping list saying, these are the things we need, can you please put something in your shopping basket? We, the last one had 6,000 hits. It just, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? It is, it is it mind-boggling. mind-boggling. I know some of those hits aren't just in Fairham and Gosports, they're all over the country. So the knock-on effect of, of yeah. what we do is, is felt... I know that, is, that sounds a bit arrogant. No, but... It, uh, it, there's, a wider, there's a wider reach absolutely. to it than just Fairham and Gosport. Yeah, all the over the place. in Fairham and Gosport, the people who, who phone in and say, can I drop some stuff off? Um, and the answer is, yeah, but only when we're there and you must be careful because of the COVID stuff. Mm. Um, it's still amazing. Yeah. It's still utterly amazing. Yeah, and just... and we're, we're really grateful for that. And we've got great volunteers, lo- lovely people who do deliveries for us, 
Um, and the, the amount of positive feedback I get from the clients that I speak to who phone in and, and say, thanks for helping me, but the people who deliver were great, is, is amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a huge credit to a, a community-wide system that supports the Basics Bank and the other food banks that you find in, in Totten, in Portsmouth, in Hedge End, all over the place. These food banks are doing an amazing job supporting the vulnerable in their communities. And, and the intriguing thing is that the vast, vast majority of them are, are run by churches and Christians. Mm. Um, about 75 or 80 percent of them are run by Christian groups or, or church groups or whatever. Phil, we are running, amazing. Yeah, we are running out of time, so I want to get this in because obviously we want to sort of really get the, the notion side of it. It's quite an important thing as well, I think. Um, you're always on the lookout for, for, for people oh, to donate always, items, always aren't you? Tins and packets. Never yeah. turn a tin or pack it down. Yeah, but you have got a box at Sainsbury's. Is that still correct? There's, 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 a, there's collection points for us in. Sainsbury's in Broadcut, yep. um, which is which is Fairham. Waitrose in Loxheath and Gosport. The co-op at Lee, um, and some Faith Church in Lee. There's a, there's an open drop-off opportunity there, um, and you know. People now place orders with supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. But it just goes to show, the, as you said earlier, the community spirit is out there. Yeah. Oh, there is no, there is no doubt. And I have some, meet some delightful yeah. people who give. But in the same way, I, now that I do the odd delivery, I, I meet some delightful people who are on the receiving end of, of difficulties. Yeah. And the, the great thing is that I now have stories of people for whom life is beginning to turn round. Good. And, Phil, I want to get in very quickly. Um, how are people refer to you? It's, it's, there, there, we've got 120-odd referral agencies who, who now mostly refer into us through a cloud-based um, voucher system, referral system, that we actually got from the Southampton City Mission. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's food banks working with other food banks. You know, we we support a cup another another food charity to um, in Gosport who mm. who deals with people. They're called Fish, and they they deal with people that even we don't see. Uh, um, some really stuff. really really um, difficult circumstances for some of these people. Yeah. Phil, we're out of time. As we always get beaten by the clock, I've got to get your second bit of music in because this is a, an uplifter, I think, to finish with. Uh, and Taz, why you've chosen this song? Uh, well, it's not, it's, it's not quite an uplifter. It, it's Getting Better, which is from Sergeant Pepper. And it's interesting because there's a line that goes something like, and it's getting better. I think it's getting better all the time. And then there's a, an echo chorus in the back saying, can't get much worse. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's, that's, that's where we are. We can't get much worse, can no. it? Can that, it? Dot, that's dot, the dot. question. That's the question. And one we'll pose next time we chat. Yeah, hopefully things will be brighter, mate. Phil, I'm sorry we're out of time, but it's always nice to catch up, yeah? And, and, and to talk to you. I, I always enjoy being pushed by you. It's absolutely, great. mate. It is, it is a pleasure. And again, um, we'll give details about how people can get in touch here and uh, donate as well. And they yeah, can super. find you on Facebook and what have you, Friends of the Homeless and Basics Banks. It's all on there. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Canoes reviews. As always, what's been going on across the area? Turn our attention to something which is a bit of a concern, in actual fact, and uh, it's uh, catalytic converters. Those are the things on cars, basically. The thefts of those on the rise. Uh, from Crime Stoppers to chat more about the charity itself and indeed this particular issue. Uh, Emily joins us now. Emily, good evening to you. Good evening. Thank How you for having me. It's a pleasure. How are you? You all right? Keeping well? I'm really well, thank you. Good. Yeah, That's really, good. really well. It's been a funny year, isn't it? Yeah, Awful. definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready for it all to start lifting oh, up. Oh, <laughs> fingers crossed. Has that had an impact on your particular organisation? Yeah, at the start, so the very first lockdown, we found that there was a small drop in yeah. reports to the charity. However, they've steadily returned back and if not increased um, oh. in various crime types. With more people being at home, we're getting more calls in relation to domestic abuse. Um, and other sort of hidden crimes that maybe, were, mm. if you were out and about and at work, you might not have noticed 
so much. But, um, yeah, we've definitely seen an increase um, more recently. Well, look, I mean, tell us a little bit about Crime Stoppers, because we see it on police cars, we see it perhaps sometimes pop up on TV, but we don't actually know what Crime Stoppers is all about as a charity, because that's what you are, a charity. Absolutely. We're a completely independent charity. We've been going for over 30 years now, and we're the only charity that offers 100% anonymity, which means that if you call us or use our online form, we can't trace it. Um, There's no way of us calling you back. The old school 1471 won't happen for us. It doesn't show up on your phone bill, and um, there is no way of us being able to contact that individual who comes forward with information relating to any crime type. And are people good at reporting crimes if they see them? Voy yourself, that is. Yes, absolutely fantastic. We have um, call handlers who support the charity in running 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. They're a fantastic bunch of people who um, are very skilled and trained in-house. We don't even record the calls for training and monitoring purposes, so it's all done in-house. And, yeah, we are seeing an increase. The quality is amazing. So to anyone that's listening who has provided information, thank you. Thank you so much. Because it does go a long way, doesn't it? I guess in some ways all the eyes and the ears sometimes are the police. Absolutely. So what happens to the information is we receive it, we sanitise it to make sure we're not revealing the identification of the person who's contacted us, and then we pass it securely onto the relevant police force. And so in this case, we obviously pass it on to Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. Um, But we work with all 43 forces across the country. Um, And anyone who has... um, doesn't have English as a first language. We've got a translation service on our phone line, which is, again, completely free, so you can speak in whichever language would suit you best. How many volunteers are there in Crime Stoppers, then? So we are made up of a mixture of paid staff and volunteers. Um, For Hampshire, we have got a committee. Uh, It's quite small at the moment. We're looking to increase it, so anyone that's interested in volunteering, do go on to the Crime Stoppers website and have a look, and we would love to have you join. And then we've got committees that um, are based across all of the different districts and um, community groups. And then we have paid members of staff. So we have regional managers. We have 14 of them that cover the UK, of which I'm one. And then our call handlers are also paid members of staff um, who go on a three-shift rotation to cover our 24-hour shift. Wow. That can be a long hour, I suppose, can it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially if something happens um, within the country, then obviously we're, we'll increase our staffing to ensure we can take that call and not leave anybody waiting. No, no. Uh, and uh, if people do want to volunteer, what sort of qualities are you looking for? Is it in particular quality or, you know, do they need experience in some sort of particular field? Well, the beauty of our committee is that we're always looking for anyone that's got a variety of different skills um, and also anyone that's looking to increase their skill base. So we currently have vacancies for um, a deputy chair. We have a vacancy for a treasurer at the moment. And then we're also looking for those that are maybe in a profession that it would suit them to sit on the committee for Crime Stoppers. Um, So that could be local council. It could be uh, basically anyone and everyone is welcome to come and join us um, and give us a little as much time as they're prepared to donate and, and give to us. And in return, we will show our appreciation We'll cover any expenses for travelling to meetings. Um, and, yeah, we'll try and get you out into the community. We're really interested to hear from individuals um, to talk about the areas in which they live in and any sort of criminal concerns that they might have for that particular area and how we can help um, either prevent it or raise awareness about it or encourage people to call us. Fantastic. Well, look, I mean, I mentioned um, earlier at the top of the piece here that uh, one of the... the the important things that, or amongst the important things that you deal with, obviously, is car crime. And in this particular instance, we're talking about catalytic converters. Yes, it's um, it's an unfortunate crime that is sadly rising. Uh, it's usually an older car, um, and usually one that is. Um, there are a number of different makes and models mm. that are kind of being targeted. There are quite a few, though, out there. Um, and basically, what we're trying to do is we're working with Neighbourhood Watch to reach out and let people know about the crime of catalytic converter theft. I certainly didn't know anything about it before we started doing this um, 
amazing work and researching into it and just encouraging people to do things like um, don't park on the pavement um, half up half down that, that is enabling people to get to the catalytic converter um, and then it's just have you heard anything about it I mean in some instances the metal that creates the catalytic converter is actually worth more than gold so you know it's quite a, a, a hefty price that people will pay and it can completely ruin a car uh, you're not going to know until you turn it on uh, whether or not, you know, it's happened to your particular car. It is the older cars. Um, our website has got details of all the different cars that are being affected. So it's not every single car. Um, and we're certainly not trying to scare anyone. We're not saying that it's going to happen to your car. But what we are saying is if you've noticed something, if you've witnessed uh, maybe a catalytic converter being stolen or you've been offered uh, some of this, you know, precious metal, that you have the opportunity to come forward and pass that information on 100% anonymously to the charity Crime Stoppers. Um, and also, if you go onto the website, there's lots of information on how you can um, hopefully prevent it from happening mm -hmm. to you. Um, little things like parking your car in a lit-up area. Um, if you've got a driveway, um, look at the possibility of having CCTV that covers your house and your property, um, obviously abiding by the law and, and putting stickers up and so forth. Um, there are other things you can do. You can buy kits, um, smart water, do one. There are many others available. Um, and it's usually about £20. Um, and you can pop it on there and sort of code it a little bit like you would do with your bike is probably the best way to describe it. Mm. Um and it's worth doing because anything that you can do to deter someone from stealing this will prevent you from um, hopefully having to make a claim. Uh, it can be quite expensive um, to get fixed, you know, anything up to sort of £1,000. And on the black market, the catalytic converter can go for anything from sort of £500 upwards. So um, a hefty price to pay. And it is a crime, unfortunately, that is increasing um, between October... 2020 in March this year, there were almost 500 catalytic converters reported stolen in Hampshire. So it is a concerning thing. It is, it is something that we are trying to raise awareness without scaring anyone. Um, you know, please do go to the website and have a look. There's lots of information on there, lots of preventative advice, but also the types of cars that are being targeted. Um, so it's not every single car. And what's worrying is that uh, some of the victims are being threatened by th these people nicking the uh, catalytic converters as well. Yes. I mean, it's not every single case that I've read. Um, but mm. certainly the, the feedback that we've had from the police is that there is a slight concern um, around people, you know, potentially trying to stop someone yes. from carrying out this crime. It doesn't take very long. Um, I was very surprised that um, it's a very quick process and you don't need lots of room to um, sort of manoeuvre and, and, I don't know, pull it out. <laughs> Obviously, my terminology is not perfect. <laughs> You're doing it right. So, <laughs> <laughs> our recommendation would be um, certainly not to approach anybody mm. if you're concerned that they're carrying out this crime. If it's happening there and then, please call 999. We're not the police, so we can't um, act upon it. Um, and then if, if you've got information, if you want to share it, obviously do go to 101 if you're prepared to give your contact details. But alternatively, we would really like to help catch the criminals that are doing this. Um, and so to anyone that's got information about catalytic converter thefts or pretty much any crime type, do come to Crime Stoppers. Um, it's free and it's 100% anonymous. Well, you just don't think of these things, do you? <laughs> no, no. And you I know. really don't want to scare the people no. that are listening um, across Portsmouth. You know, please don't feel like it's going to be your car next. It's certainly not like that. We're just very aware of it happening. Just be aware. The value and the, the serious organised crime groups that are carrying it out. And we're just, we're just asking people to just be mindful and have a look at our website, have a look at some of the advice and, you know, report anything that you may feel is suspicious or may lead to the police being able to find these, you know, individuals that are carrying it out. And if people want to find out more information about Crime Stoppers and itself, they can go onto the website. Absolutely. Um, you can just type in um, Crime Stoppers into any search bar. Basically, if you start typing it, um, it will come up. There's information, preventative advice and all sorts 
of um, crime-related information available on the website. There's also links to other services and support. And then for anyone that's of a younger age group or anyone that works with young people, we have a youth brand which is called Fearless. So if you go onto fearless.org, you can find out about any crime type. And again, report anything 100% anonymously uh, for free. And no one will know apart from you. Fantastic. Emily, it's lovely talking to you. Can we come back to you? Is that all right? Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, yeah it'd be nice to come back to you. And perhaps we can uh, talk about other things that, that are going on that may need attention. I would love that. Is that all right? Yeah, we'll keep absolutely. in touch. Yeah, do, do, do keep in touch. And if there's anyone within the community that has got a particular interest in a particular crime type, I would be more than happy to come on and have a chat about Bless it. Bless we'll, you. I'll keep your details because perhaps we can get you on once a month. I don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about absolutely. that. Yeah, we, yeah, we like a good old chinwag, Emily. That's fine. Oh, me too. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank all right, my lovely. You take care. All right. Thanks for coming on Take tonight care. regards to all stay Thank safe you. cheers darling Thank bye-bye you. Stay safe. thanks bye-bye. cheers emily bye. emily well oh she's bless her lovely um from crime stoppers and again want to find out more about the charity perhaps you might want to volunteer perhaps become part of it go to the website as emily said there crime stoppers dot uh, org i think is the address if i got that correct i'm sure i have written it down somewhere uh, crime stoppers certainly if you do a, little, a google search you find all the information there and how to get involved in that yes turn our attention to wildlife and actual facts and along the coast and it's great to welcome her back we had a great response last time uh, from bird aware science uh, lizzie hibbert is on the line with us now lizzie good evening to you hello you all right yeah, fine, thanks. I'm now getting really hungry. You're talking about cake. Oh, no. It sounds delicious. Oh, I want a cake too, Pam. <laughs> Pam, there you go. We both want cake. There you go. <laughs> oh, lemon drizzle. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and fruit cake as well as the second there. But um, very nice. Anyway. Oh, talking about cake. Um, we were talking about toast off here earlier. So don't even ask. But anyway, uh, welcome back, Lizzie. We had a great response last time we came on, uh, which was nice. Uh, because this time of the year, it, it's unbelievably chilly still. Mind you, having said that, of course, the weather's not been um, particularly grand, but it's still a chance to, to get out and about and uh, and look for for birds and things. Yeah, definitely. It's a wonderful time of year to see to see all sorts going on. And I guess the most exciting thing at the moment is that all the little chicks are starting to pop out either in people's gardens, but also on the coast. First few chicks are sort of starting to appear here and there. So it's an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. And what about along our shoreline? What can we see this time of year? Well, uh, so you've got things like terns, swallows, um, swifts all arriving at the moment. Uh, there's lots of waders still around, some who are still here from the winter. Others are coming up from places like Africa and they're maybe stopping here for a bit of a bite before they head further up north. We've got lots of birds called wimbrels. Um, they've got a really long curved beak, a little bit like another bird that we see on the coast called a curlew. And lots of them have been stopping over actually in Portsmouth Harbour over the last few weeks and they'll be heading um, off to Iceland. So they've already come all the way from Africa and they've still got uh, a bit of a way to go. So wow. It's, <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Absolutely. Who actually sort of pinpoints all this? Well, I mean, lots of it has done from sort of tagging and ringing of birds. So they find out snips here and there. And if you ever see a bird on the coast and you can see it's got a little ring on its leg, they can either be colourful rings or they might have a, an actual number written on them. Um, you can report those um, and find out where they were tagged and you can learn all sorts of amazing stories about where they've come from. So, yeah, there's some funny stories what people used to think happened to lots of birds. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we've, we're learning more all the time about where these birds go and how they get from A to B. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, I suppose, in a way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah, it's quite bizarre, that, isn't it? But uh, So those are the sorts of birds we can look, be looking out for at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And... Um, so I was going to actually talk tonight about some of the birds that you, you might be spotting, which really have been arriving over the last few weeks, which are the swifts, the swallows and the martins. Yeah. Because they are some birds that often people get quite confused with because they all look very similar. Yeah. So I thought I would do a little how can you tell the difference um, with some easy ways to remember them. Um, so swallows are... Gorgeous birds. They come up to so all three of these types of birds. They all come up from Africa um, and they'll be arriving on a coast, probably quite exhausted, ready to have a nice snack. They all eat insects that fly in the air. So they're swooping about in the air, catching little insects that are coming up as the, the warmer weather is kind of creeping in, which attracts the insects. Um, but yeah, so swallows, we'll start with swallows. Um, one, one thing to 
definitely look out for on swallows is their long tail streamers. They've got really long tails. They've got a reddish throat and a chin. Um, and I kind of almost, I always like to remember them with this silly little phrase, um, swallow your pride and shake your tail feathers. That's how I always used to remember these when I used to get them confused. <laughs> so that's how you can remember right. which one's a swallow. Okay. Remember that they've got their long tail um, streams. And they will be nesting inside buildings like barns, and some people even get them in their houses. And they're going to make their little nests with mud and bound them together with with grass. And, yeah, just wonderful to see them at the moment. Um, and then we've got swifts. They're another one that can be easily confused. They're black nearly all over. So if you see a bird really usually flying in the sky, can be seen even in cities, flying really fast, low over buildings, screeching really quite loudly. Um, and they, they've got really sort of long, narrow wings. So that's how you can tell those ones apart. And they, quite interestingly, make their nests all from things that they catch in the air and they bind it together with saliva, which is kind of gruesome but also kind of really cool. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, after we've been talking about cake, I don't know how we feel about a, a binded saliva nest. No, um, <laughs> doesn't quite cut it, really, does it? No. Doesn't quite cut it, no. but for them, it seems to work very well. And you, we get, I've, I've actually got swifts that um, nest in the house next, next to me, and they nest under the eaves of buildings a lot. So if you see some birds almost look, looking like they're flying into your, into your roof or um, under the eaves of houses, then they could well be swifts, and they've come all the way from Africa. So it's wow. really exciting. Okay. Yeah. So there's still lots to see out there, isn't it, despite all these, do- these temperatures going up and down and, and things like that? Yeah, I do wonder whether the birds are getting a bit confused, and I'm sure yeah. some of them are getting a, a, a wee bit confused with things changing all the time. Yeah. Um, but there's loads of insects out there. I keep going into my garden, and I'm seeing bees and butterflies and stuff. So that's great because the insects are sort of the indication that the food is there for the birds. So lots of um, these sort of flying birds that swoop around, they're, all, they're just catching the little insects that live um, up in the, in the uh, air. And you've seen, uh, I guess, with climate change and things like that, it's, uh, you've probably seen a bit of a difference. Yeah, so it's, it's very hard and it really seems to depend on the species and mm. it's, and, and which papers that you read or which articles that you read. Yeah. There's lots of research going into it at the moment. But yeah, it, it, it could be good for us in some ways because we might get some new birds coming to the area that we haven't had. There might be other birds that move further up north as the temperatures rise. And the main thing is, hopefully, whatever happens is if the food moves, the birds can move with it too. So that's, yeah, one of the things that we're just hoping is that the birds work it out and that they follow their food source. (laughs) Brilliant. Now, I saw on ITV Meridian News uh, with Uncle Fred uh, last week, I think it was now, about Peewit's Island. Yes, it was a really exciting Who would have thought? Who would have thought that even existed? (laughs) Tell us about where where it is in particular so people can look out for it. So if you're walking along near Porchester, around there, and you just look straight out into Portsmouth Harbour, it's kind of like bang, bang slap in the middle of Portsmouth Harbour there. Um, and it, it's just a, a biggish island that doesn't go underwater. And it's really amazing for birds in the summer and in the winter. Um, they use it, so the summer birds use it for nesting on. Some of the summer birds that we get, like terns, they actually nest on the ground in amongst shingle um and then in the winter it'll it'll get used by other birds that come up um here so we'll get things like geese and ducks and wading birds on it but the reason that it was in the news and so everyone got really excited was Mm. because a massive chinook helicopter um was transporting shingle um onto it because they were trying to build up the shingle as much as they can. Like I said, some of the birds that nest, they really like bare shingle. And the island had got a little bit vegetated. It had been covered in grasses and other other sort of plants. So they just wanted to make it a, basically a perfect hotel, the perfect spot for the birds to come to. So, yeah, that was the Wildlife Trust um, and MOD and um, Tarmac and Day Aggregate to working together. That's a really nice partnership project. Um, and hopefully, fingers crossed, in the next few weeks, they might start seeing some turns settling down and fingers crossed laying some eggs. Well, OK. Uh, I mean, do you work in partnership with, with other agencies and organisations you know, with similar sorts of things? Exactly, yeah. So we're actually, the Bird of West Salem, we are a partnership organisation. So we're made up of 15 local councils, Natural England, RSPV, the Wildlife Trust and Chichester Harbour Conservancy. So we're basically loads of people, all with the same sort of aim, coming together to try and 
do the right thing for the birds um, and, and spread awareness and, yeah, basically excite people with all of the amazing wildlife that's on our coast. Yeah. Now, I had to laugh about the geese because obviously um, Portsmouth City Council and the Infant Wisdom had sort of sectioned off a, a piece of land by Castlefield there so they could land yeah. there uh, and yeah. they completely ignored it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, birds do what they do. They, they, yeah, they, when they know that there's somewhere they want to go, they will, they'll just go there. But um, yeah, it's, there's so many different spaces that the geese do use. They've been seen on all sorts of like football pitches sometimes, the geese can get invade football pitches. Wherever there's food, the geese will be and they'll be happy. Yeah, and I think they land on the cricket pitch further down the road. Yeah. Yeah, on cricket pitches, it, almost anywhere, farmers' fields, they'll use any bit of grass, really, that they can have a good chump on. It's weird to think that geese eat grass, but they do graze it just like sort of cows and, and, and horses, which is quite strange to think. Wow, fascinating. <laughs> and now, as we're getting into, into May, hopefully, dare I say, summer around the corner, what can we be looking out for, Lizzie? Well, if you're on the coast, the terns, they're the things to look out for. Um, not just because they're my favourites, but because they are absolutely amazing to watch. So there's different types of terns, three different types of terns you're most likely to see on the coast. Common terns, little terns and sandwich terns. Um, so if you're out on the coast and you're watching the water and you suddenly see a splash and it looks like a skinny seagull has just dived into the sea, you're probably watching a tern. Um, and that's one of the birds I would definitely say to look out for. But there's lots of wading birds as well that are nesting at the moment. And obviously anyone is happy if they see a cute little bundle of fluff and yeah. a chick waddling around. So, yeah, it's all go. There's, there's no boring birds. They're all fun to see. Um, and, yeah, just enjoy everything. <laughs> there seems to be more robins out this year. Oh, I, Any particular reason why or...? I, I don't think so. You know, I think actually lots of, because lots of people are asking me, oh, I think there's more of this this year or there's yeah. more of that. And I actually think that it's it's just the idea that people have connected with nature a bit more over the think? last year yeah. during lockdown. And so we're just a bit more observant. I even think I've been more observant of birds around my garden and just just every now and then having a little peek out the window and you spot so many things that maybe you haven't ever noticed before but were probably there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just that extra connection that we've made, which is really exciting and really nice for yeah. people to be so, picking up on these things. So it's a positive sort of step in the right direction. Definitely. Reconnecting with nature, which is what we should be uh, should be doing. Uh, again, if people want to find out more information about what to look for, where to see it, it's going yeah. on the website, isn't it? Yeah, we've got a lovely website which has got like little bird profiles so you can have a look and see if you can work out what you've spotted. But we're also on social media, so if, if you've got a picture of something and you want to send it in and we'll see if we can identify it, then please go ahead. Um, but yeah, there's lots of info on the website and we do all sorts of funny posts on social media. This month we're focusing all about the Solent and what the Solent means to, what the Solent means to everyone. So actually I was going to ask you, Chris, what do you think the Solent means to you? Oh, see. Peace and quiet, yeah. tranquility, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those were lots of words that came up when we asked our audiences on, on our social media yeah. channels. And wildlife, we were really pleased to see, was coming up a top in lots of people's yeah. lists. So, yeah, that connection is definitely there between nature at the yeah. moment. Yeah, and, and seeing the geese Lovely. sort of like dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and exactly, the geese, and definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How Again, it's reconnecting, as you say, with nature and things like that, isn't it? And getting into that mindset. Yeah. Uh, which can be a good thing, because, uh, you know, with climate change and things like that, perhaps it's this is uh, what we've been sort of after, really, and perhaps in the pandemic is reset us all do you think yeah i hope so and i think yeah exactly it's always good to find those positives isn't it and i think people sort of connecting noticing nature more maybe make, making little changes in their garden yeah. i've seen lots of people who are adding nest boxes who've never done things like that before or building a pond it's just all of those little spaces that we own in our gardens can be an absolute haven for wildlife so yeah we can all help a little bit um by looking out for the wildlife you know giving it lots of space but also just yeah, providing the little spaces for it in our gardens. Yeah, and uh, putting bird tables up and things like that. To, to yeah, and at the, uh, uh, obviously until yesterday when we had finally had some rain, it had been very dry. So yeah. putting water out in your garden is brilliant if you have a sort of a bird bath or just even, I don't know, like a little tray or something we can put out, then that, that will always be welcomed by the birds. And it can be a really good way of attracting them into your garden too. Yeah, apart from next door's cat. <laughs> Could be a bit yeah. of an issue there. <laughs> possibly. Yeah, possibly. Lizzie, it's lovely talking to you. Uh, we're going to come back again in a month's time, Jeff. Is that right? Yep. 
Yeah, brilliant. And, and I look we'll forward ta- to We'll have another <laughs> chat then, and uh, perhaps if anyone's got any ideas, you might want to ask Lizzie a birdie question, uh, get in touch with us, etw at expressfm.com's our email address. We want to get in touch with the show, uh, and uh, we'll pose the question to Lizzie when she's back on. Uh, at, uh, we're going well, in fact, towards the end of uh, May, Tom, we get you back on, Lizzie, I reckon. Just yeah, in time brilliant. for the next, the second bank holiday weekend. Yeah, lovely. Fantastic, look forward to that. Lizzie, a pleasure. Thanks for coming on tonight. All right, you take care. Take care, talk soon. Bye. That's Lizzie there from Bird Aware Sewing chatting with us here on Express this week. We're going to squeeze us in uh, as we head towards the end of the show for another week here. Interesting stat this. A GHD survey between 40% of people in the UK uh, considering moving to a different location because of this pandemic. Let's discuss this more uh, from GHD uh, itself. Uh, Tim Morwood is uh, on the line with us now. Tim, good evening to you. Good evening, Chris. How are you? All right. How's yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah. Good to be with you. Yeah, and thank you for coming on. I do appreciate it. Uh, just uh, set the scene. Uh, GHD, tell us what that uh, organisation is all about, Tim. Yeah, GHD is a global uh, professional services and engineering company. So we've 10,000 people around the world, um, about 250 in the UK. And we focus on um, sort of the markets around water, energy, resources, environment, property, buildings and transport. So the way I like to put it, Chris, is, you know, when you get up in the morning and you fill the kettle, um, we're involved with the water. When you turn it on, we're involved with the electricity. When you're driving to work, um, Obviously, we're involved in, in, in roads and, and, and rail, etc. So we, we touch people's lives in lots of different ways. You don't just necessarily see us. No. So th- that's where it all falls into it. Now, I mean, this really um, sets the scene for this survey. I mean, this, this survey yeah. is quite interesting, isn't it, because of this pandemic? It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. So we went out to 8,000 people across the world uh, in six countries in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Singapore, the UK and the USA. And just over a thousand people were surveyed in the UK, um, 33% of those, Chris, in the southeast and, and the south. And as you said, 40% uh, of the people we spoke to were considering uh, relocating. 51% of those in urban areas were actually considering it. And those are big numbers, right? Um, they indicate a substantial social and economic shift. Um, and, you know, that, that's it, the earlier point that Lizzie was making about the, the connection, the sort of uh, the greener conscience that's out there, definitely also came through in the survey um, with a better local access to nature being one of the, the top reasons for people wanting to move. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? What, yeah, why, you know, yeah. something like this is sort of triggered, you know, people wanted to move location and what have you. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's understandable if you're in a sort of a, a very tightly constrained um, city centre environment and you're facing a pandemic. Yeah. Clearly, it's, it's going to reframe things for you. Right. But I think the opportunity in this is the economic rebalancing. Um, you know, we've heard about devolution. Mm. you know, for some time, and, and whether it's really been a reality or not, you know, is debatable. But the the, the spend in, in infrastructure in particular has is, is always remained very much in, in the southeast and around around London, I suppose, as a centre of gravity. And I think there's an opportunity for that to change as people move to different locations. Um, and I think that's going to require a reassessment of, of major infrastructure investments that are planned in the UK. And if you think about some of the things that, that have fundamentally changed, and, and they certainly have for me, and I'm, I'm sure for many of your listeners, that the way we're connecting um, both in terms, of, in terms of our lives now with work, uh, with shopping, et cetera, has, has changed quite fundamentally. So connectivity is an area where I think there's going to have to be a focus. And that brings to light things like you know, better quality transport in, in different areas, um, more regional and, and rural areas perhaps. The rollout of, of um, the much-discussed 5G or, or fibre to the premises is going to be critical, right? We all need to have this, um, you know, high-quality broadband as, as we move into these new ways of working and, and, and living. And I think the other thing that we're seeing change, Chris, is, is energy distribution, right? With, um, you know, as, as people are working from home and, and using energy in different ways, that where we've mainly had, uh, I suppose, energy in city centres and CBD, it's now being used more in in, um, in in rural, regional and, and suburban environments. And that means investment in, in local and regional power networks um, over the next few years. 
So it's all going to be all changed, isn't it? And how we adapt to life <clears throat> from all this. Uh, interesting, interesting. I mean, but that means more Zoom meetings and things then. Well, who knows? Right? <laughs> I think, I, yeah, well, it, it's a, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. And, and we, we, you know, obviously, um, we, we, uh, we've been looking at this um, we, with our staff. We know a lot of our clients are looking at this. And the sweet spot, Chris, is looking like two to three days in, in, in the office um, as opposed to the five-day mm. week. And, and that means that, you know, people are going to be commuting less. They're going to be, they're going to be living in, uh, potentially can live in different areas because they're not having to commute for, for yes. two hours, five days a week. And that, again, is part of this impetus um, that we're seeing with, with people moving. And in different and the countries. fundamental impacts that's going to have. Yeah. Sorry yeah. to say again. And, and in different countries as well, I guess. You could live yeah, here and, and work for, you know, someone in Australia or something. Well, and, and look, we are, you know, we're, we're, and, and that's the thing about connectivity. Um, you know, it, it brings such tremendous, um, such tremendous opportunities. And I think for us as a business, we, we've always been global. We, we find ourselves better connected than we ever have been in many ways. And I think that's true for, um, for, for many people, your listeners included, you mm-hmm. know, the, the world is our oyster. And we, as long as we can connect to it, then... Um, there's there's lots of things we can do. Great opportunities. I, I mean, particularly like the high streets. I mean, obviously, it's not something in, in, in what we're discussing here. But I mean, that that's changed beyond recognition in a short space of time because of the acceleration, really, of what's happened with the pandemic. Well, that, that that's a really pertinent point, um, Chris. Um, we, we're organising ourselves in um, around a couple of particular strategies um, globally, but particularly in the UK at the moment. One of those is future energy, and as I say, that's looking at future energy demand and new fuel types. The other one we're calling future communities. And what initially we, we were going to call it was urbanisation. Then along comes COVID and turns that on its head yeah. as we're discussing. But, you know, the, the difference, the move from, um, you know, um, bricks to clicks in terms of retail is a really interesting one. And we're, we're seeing 46% of people are saying they'll continue to shop online mm. even after the pandemic has, has finished. So that, that is going to have a fundamental impact on High Street. And I think, you know, I, I heard during earlier in the show, there were people talking about community. Maybe this is an opportunity to bring community back into our city centres, yes. which we've sanitised to a great extent, you know, um, and, and made them sort of mecca to, to, to retail and, and commercial premises. So I think that, that it's not going to be easy, don't get me wrong, and th- there are going to be substantive changes in here. But I think they present opportunities um, and, and we need to look at those. And, you know, local authorities, combined authorities um, and national government need to look at these pragmatically um, and see how we can make change for the better. Yeah. Times are changing, as they say. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Tim, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for coming on tonight. We'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. It's nice to come back to, to issues such as this in, in the future. But I uh, appreciate your time, Tim. Thanks for coming on. Good to talk to you. And to you. Love to come back again, Chris. Thanks. Cheers, mate. All the best. Take care. Cheers. Bye now. Uh, I'm both our guest next week. Uh, we look forward to Chris Pluck uh, from the Mountains here in Portsmouth. He's always a great chat to get on the air and hear two of his songs as well. <laughs> He's picked two interesting songs already. <laughs> yeah, we'll share those with you as our profile guest next week here on the show. Plus, more of the week's news and news too. Look forward to your company at 7 7 to 9 o'clock. Whatever you're doing, stay safe for a fabulous seven days and thank you for tuning in. Take care. No, no, no.